Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Simon Taylor, the CEO of Haiku, a multi-cloud backup and recovery SaaS business. Hi, Simon. How are you? I'm doing great, Ari. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's a privilege. Tell us about your background and the genesis of Haiku. I'm Simon Taylor, CEO and founder of Haiku, the world's fastest growing multi-cloud backup as a service company. And if that wasn't enough of a mouthful, effectively what we do is we backup data to the cloud in 78 countries for 3,600 customers. I'm a serial entrepreneur and a pretty international one at that. I was born in London, England. My family moved over here due to my father's position at Wang Labs, if you remember Wang back in the day. And ultimately, I grew up to be an entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 24 years old. I moved to Prague in the Czech Republic, sold what little I had. And I started traveling. I went to Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Bulgaria. And effectively, what I was doing was I was identifying technology hotspots around the globe and helping technologists to broker deals and build relationships in the United States. I did that for several years and then ended up selling my consulting business to a company called Comtrade Group. I then helped Comtrade to set up their company in the United States, moved to Spain to get my MBA, started a new company selling monitoring tools, which was acquired by Citrix in 2014. And I was in Las Vegas and I was celebrating the success of that when I ran into a technologist friend of mine from Slovenia named Goran Gorevsky. Well, Gorn and I sat down to dinner and we had an argument about the nature of data protection and how you protect data in modern environments. And after a few uh, hours of discussion, I realized that it was going to be in my future to build a next generation data protection company with him. And that's exactly what we did. We ended up raising over $140 million from Bain Capital Ventures, Acrew, Cisco, and Atlassian building our company up to what it is today with over 350 people in 10 different countries. So it's been an exciting journey, an exciting ride, and certainly an international one at that. And I'm looking forward to diving into it with you, Ari. How has the pandemic and the general increased need for technology to support remote work impacted your business? We were privately funded. We had never raised a dime of capital, and we were a relatively small company you know, pre-pandemic. And what's, what we started to see was that companies were doing, two things were happening. One was that companies were flying to the cloud. You don't say walking, driving, running. They were really flying to the public cloud because they understood that infrastructure as a service would be less resource intensive for them on the ground. And as companies were moving to work from home situations, that was increasingly appealing. So you had this massive flight to cloud on one hand, and then you had the rise of criminality and ransomware on the other terrible what we call a scourge of ransomware with one now happening every 11 seconds, a new attack happening every 11 seconds, really, really frightened people as it should. And so as people are moving to cloud, working from home, and becoming increasingly afraid of ransomware attacks, what they're really looking for is a safe, easy to deploy data protection solution that was built for the modern data estate and cloud native. And so what we ended up doing was really taking an educational stance on the ransomware piece, going out to companies and organizations all over the world, and really helping to educate them on the threats and the woes and perils of ransomware 
but also giving them an easy solution with Haiku. Because of that, our business grew over 450%, and ultimately that was what first attracted Bain Capital to us and ultimately led to our $87.5 million A round in 2021. What lessons have you learned on leading through a growth phase? One of the things I've always said to folks when I interview new employees for the company is I am very much what I call myself an East Coast CEO, not a West Coast CEO. And tongue-in-cheek comment is in reference to the fact that I am a pretty practical guy. And when I'm building and looking at growing a business, we've always looked to ensure that financially we never got ahead of our skis. We've seen some massive overvaluations in the marketplace. We've seen people raise an enormous amount of money at really unprecedented levels. It's really given rise to this growth at all costs notion. Have always thought to myself, at some point, what goes up must come down. And we've got to be pretty careful that we don't overspend, that we don't try to shoot the lights out. But instead, we try to build a highly scalable, hyper-growth company that has a viable commercial model that will allow us to grow in any market. And so the lessons that I've learned being inside of a growth market for the last 10 years have really been that you have to be objective, that you should always remain grounded. And that despite having lots of investors and really amazing investors at that join our board and give us incredible sums of money, you want to stay close to your roots. You want to make sure that the customer is ultimately the focus of everything. And you have to look at the overall market, look what your peers are doing, and then make rational decisions that will help you to weather any storm. We can learn a lot from some of the growth at all cost companies that we've seen who have just burned an enormous amount of cash over the last decade. How do you continue to motivate your team to fuel continued success while also making sure that they maintain some level of work-life balance? The concept of a startup or a leader or the concept of a founder is an interesting one. You first and foremost have to put the culture of your business everywhere in order to make it work because you really are fundamentally trying to do the impossible. You're taking the germ of an idea, putting a little bit of money around it. You're trying to break go-to-market fit. Then you're trying to climb the mountain of go-to-market execution. You have to continuously upgrade your team. There's so much going on, remembering and always going back to this idea that culture drives outcomes is really, really important. And so if you want to build a really strong culture, you must do two things. You One, you need to understand what your core values are as a company. And two, you need to understand that there are all different kinds of people in your company, and those core values need to be able to support their lifestyles, no matter what those different lifestyles look like. To be more specific, at Haiku, we've created our culture around three core values, authenticity, grit, and empathy. We call it better with age, A-G-E. And the authenticity piece is you should feel safe coming to Haiku no matter where you are, who you are, what you look like or what you believe. As long as you come in and do a hard day's work and care about your colleagues, customers, and partners, you're going to fit in just great. The second piece is grit. I don't think you can start a startup or run a startup or build one without having that sense of, we're just going to get the job done. The third piece is the most important to me, and that's empathy. When you build an empathic culture, it's one in which the folks in it are not only thinking about themselves, but putting themselves in each other's shoes whether that means helping one another, whether that means focusing on colleagues, whether it means putting the customer first or the partner first, 
You're thinking about how other people are dealing with any kind of situation and not just looking at it from a position of self-interest. When you take those three core values and you build a culture that is based on them, ultimately what you find is that the work-life balance takes care of itself because you are putting your employees in a position where you're saying, I'm going to give you ownership of what you do. You can work out the best possible way to make that happen for you in the context of your daily life. The other piece I would say is that, you know, from a flexibility perspective, we talk a lot about flexibility here at IQ. And today's working style has changed dramatically as a result of COVID. And so when we think about how people work today versus three years ago, you know, people really expect that level, that higher degree of flexibility. So what we try to do is build open workspaces. We call them hubs in the four major locations where we exist. And that's Boston, Austin, Belgrade, Serbia, and, and Ljubljana, Slovenia. And we create wonderful, fun, engaging environments in which people can come to work and play and collaborate, but we don't force them to come in. What we do is we say we encourage it. We want you to use the spaces. We want you to work together and be smart about the way that you're working, but we don't force it. We don't create a policy that says you have to be here nine to five, et cetera, et cetera. And what we found is that people not only get more out of the spaces that we provide for them, they're actually far more efficient because they know they can take a call at seven in the morning from home and then take their kids to school. They know that they can be there for their child's sports game and take a call afterwards. Flexibility is really the name of the game in today's modern work environment. That's a vast improvement, actually, over what people were doing before COVID. What metrics do you use to ensure that your team remains on target? There's a lot of basic metrics. I mean, the first and foremost for us is ARR, annual recurring revenue, which is just very simply how much our subscription revenue is growing. The second is net retention rate. This is a really important one because net, what net retention rate looks at is how many dollars a specific cohort of customers have grown over a specific period of time. For us, the same cohort of customers we had a year ago has grown 135%. And that essentially means that even if we stop selling new to new customers, which of course we would never do, the business alone would grow 35% just in and of itself. That enables us to grow at the levels we do, which is 150% last year, for example. Uh, so net retention is very important. The third one that we care a great deal about here at Haiku is our net promoter score, NPS. And the net promoter score, for those who haven't heard about it, is a very, very boiled down version of what used to be a customer satisfaction survey. It essentially just asks folks, zero to 10, are you willing to recommend Haiku to a friend? And our net promoter score is a 91%, which is the highest in the industry. We're incredibly proud of that. That speaks volumes, not just about our wonderful products, but actually about the people behind our products, the people who are working the phones, working with customers, doing customer support, running customer success. All together as a team, we're providing a very safe environment for customers. And I think that NPS score certainly reflects that. How do you see the backup and data recovery sector evolving? There's a couple of things going on. The first is that with the rise of criminality and ransomware attacks, which as I said before, is now one every 11 seconds, what we're finding is that there is a confluence of cybersecurity and data protection. So in our offering today, we're doing a lot more than just backing up data and making it easier to recover. We're actually helping to alert customers when there's an anomaly in their data, which could be a ransomware attack. We are using right once for many worm capabilities to ensure that even if a hacker gets into your account, 
He cannot corrupt your backups or change what you've written. It's things like that that we're going to continue to see evolve over time as the data estates of our customers become more complex. And with the average company today having their data in over 150 different data silos due to the rise of multi-cloud and SaaS, what we need to be looking out for is ways to support customers much more holistically. Today, customers are thinking about how to protect their data when it's in their data center. There are some smart customers, more and more, thank God, who are thinking about how to protect their data when it's in the public cloud. The final frontier is going to be, how do we actually protect a customer's data no matter where it's sitting? Uh, And I think that's something that Haiku is uniquely positioned to address over the next 12 to 24 months. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Simon Taylor, the CEO of Haiku a multi-cloud backup and recovery SaaS business. Simon, thank you so very much. Thank you, Ari. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.